Hey there, animation lovers. Before we start the show today, we just wanted to ask for your help with something. If you're listening to this, then besides loving animation, you probably also love podcasts. In fact, there's probably a bunch of other podcasts that you love in addition to this one. But listen, it's easy to forget that podcasts are a relatively new forum and that many people don't know what they are, where to find them, or even how to listen. So throughout the month of March, the podcast community is trying to spread the word. This is where you come in. We're asking you to tell a friend or family member about a podcast they might love, maybe even this one, I don't know, maybe, and how to find and listen to it. Then tell us what you recommended using the hashtag tripod. That's hashtag T-R-Y-P-O-D. And together, we can combat podcast unawareness. Nick, 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 Nickelodeon Animation in Burbank, California. This is the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Hector Navarro. Welcome to the podcast. Our guest today is a veteran in the world of voice acting. And I'm just going to come out and say it. He's a legend, folks. A legend. You know him as the voice of Yakko from Animaniacs, Pinky from Pinky and the Brain, Jack Fenton from Danny Phantom, Carl Weezer from Jimmy Neutron, and two Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Raphael in the original 1987 series, and since 2012, Donatello in the new modern classic, along with, I don't know, 250 other animated characters and over a thousand appearances in commercials. You've heard his voice if you've been alive on this planet. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Rob Paulson. Hello, Hector. Oh, good. Uh, I'm, I'm done. That's oh, all that's we great. need. That was that's easy. It. And my day is made. I'm done. My week is made. My month is made. My 2017 is made. Well, bless your heart. It was a that, pleasure, that, man. Thank you, man. Oh, listen. So much fun. It's totally my pleasure. What gets you excited to be a part of the storytelling process? Where did it start for you? It started for me when I was uh, probably in 10 or 11, 12 years old. Uh, in terms of animation, those were my first um, inspirations. Chuck Jones, Bob McKimson, Bob Clampett, Carl Stalling, Milt Franklin, the music, Rockin' Bullwinkle, um, you know, Jay Ward, Bill Scott, all yeah. of those things, Flintstones, Hanna-Barbera, all those things were a huge part of my life, like most children who grew up in the 60s. 70s. I think what I really loved about shows like Rocking Bullwinkle and the Flintstones and all the Warner Brothers animation stuff was that I believed all those characters. I could see, I understood later that it was because they were beautifully executed. Mel Blanc was a terrific actor. Mm -hmm. And uh, all these guys that we mentioned, Chuck Jones and Bob McKimson, and all, they could all draw, act with their pencils. But, you know, I could see a 20 or 11 minute chunk of Bugs Bunny and then I would think of I would it would seem to me that I was watching a, a segment of his life and he had just come from somewhere I watched 11 minutes of him saying you know duck season wabbit season duck season wabbit season fire and then go on to the next chunk of his life and he could be sitting in a, his rabbit hole reading a racing form and drinking a beer <laughs> and I utterly bought that so I, I wanted to be part of that equation I have to say, it didn't occur to me that I was just going to do voice work. Um, I wanted to be a performer, actor, singer. I was a singer first who became an actor. And all my influences were shows we just mentioned, plus Red Skelton and Carol Burnett and uh, the Pythons. Um, Peter Sellers was a huge influence on me. Yeah. Jonathan Winters, uh, whom I got to work with half a dozen times at Hanna-Barbera on Smurfs wow, later. Yeah. All of those folks, Don Messick, Dawes Butler, 
were all influences in terms of the voice stuff. And I knew who they were when I came to LA, but when I got here in the late 70s, it was ostensibly to do live action stuff. And then my agent said, have you ever thought about doing animation? I said, well, sure, but I know that 10 people do it all. And my timing was really good. There were a bunch of us who came here at about that time. And mm-hmm. it was before cable and the Disney yeah. Channel and the Disney Afternoon. And, and Nickelodeon, Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network. All and that. Absolutely. That was just starting. So uh, the first stuff I, I read for and start and worked on were G.I. Joe and Transformers. <laughs> and That's right. Like 1984, 83, 84. Um, and it didn't take long to say, this is the gig, man. Nobody yeah. cares what you look like. <laughs> I get to work with Peter Cullen and Frank Welker and all these wonderful actors. Yeah. And so now, here we are 30-odd years later, and I've been hired for things more than once that I would never be considered for on camera. Absolutely. Including two Ninja Turtles <laughs> and teenage Ninja Turtles, right? <laughs> and I was almost a victim of my own ageism. Um, the first thought I had was, well... God, do they know who I am? N- not out of arrogance, right? But out of a concern that I would get in there and they would say, "Oh shoot, that's right, you were Raphael in the first batch." Yeah, we can't, we can't yeah. use the same. Sure, you know, we, you're a really nice fella, but <laughs> the guys here, let's throw the old guy a bone, you know. And I, and so I said, just please call them and let them know that I did do Raphael. And there have been several iterations of the show that have had nothing to do with the original cast, mm-hmm. so I don't want to be, I don't want to embarrass them or myself, right? Frankly, right. So she called right back and she says, no, no, they know exactly who you are. <laughs> they just think you'd be good for their version of Donatello. So as soon as I realized that the age thing was my problem, <laughs> I stepped out of my own way and I got the damn job. When did you realize as the actor performing Donatello, like, oh my gosh, this is this is something different. Is this something that to you just clicked because it's like, yes, this is where we are now in terms of animation storytelling, or was this like, you know, new territory for you? Well, it was definitely new territory for me because <laughs> to get another shot at, utterly pun intended, an evergreen franchise <laughs> like Ninja Turtles. Get the shell out of here. Yeah, that was on purpose? Shell, I know. I'm a shell of a guy. Nicely done. Thank you. <laughs> I um, Respectfully, I don't think there are too many actors who have gotten to do a second run yeah. at a really giant franchise where they're playing another character. Yeah. You know, Frank Welker, God bless him, has been Freddy on Scooby-Doo since 1969. Wow. Right? Uh, but to be in the Turtles when it was a clean sheet of paper mm-hmm. and then come back a generation later mm-hmm. to get another crack at it, um, when we started seeing the artwork, I thought, oh, man, this is, this is way different. So cool. And also there is a darkness that sort of harkens to the original comic book that sure. Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird, you know, Raphael was an assassin in the original <laughs> comic book. Yeah. And um, while Turtles, the first Turtles was unquestionably a kid's show without, you know. Yeah. This new show is is has got some darkness in it that it makes it appeal to a larger audience. And I've even discussed it with Ciro and Brandon a couple of times. There's some stuff that I said, I love this. And my kid, yeah. who's a turtle freak from the old school, loves the new show but he kind of goes man some of this stuff is pretty intense for nine-year-olds and it is i mean it's it's definitely it's got a deeper story yes um it's deeper it's 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 life and death and last time we had cereal on the show a specific episode a specific moment hadn't aired yet but now Mm. it has and i want to ask you about this because it was devastating as a turtles fan my 
Twitter feed blew up it's, last Sunday. Last Sunday is when it aired. We're talking about the episode Requiems mm -hmm. and near the end of season four, not all the way done yet by the time uh, we're recording this. Right. Uh, the death of Master Splinter. And now, Hamato Yoshi dies! you as an actor who performed that, uh, what was that like for you? Well, it's pretty intense because, well, I think because I've been around for the whole shooting match. <laughs> and I think of, you know, the two splinters I know are Peter Renaday from the original one and Hoon Lee, who is, what an actor. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Just a fine. He took over for Ken Watanabe on Broadway doing um, King and I. Wow. Marvelous talent. And of course, uh, Having done a couple hundred episodes of the original Turtles, Master Splinter is, man, he's our sensei. He's our yeah. dad, you know? Um, so, yeah, in the moment, it was, a, it was a pretty emotional experience, to be sure. The truth is, it was months ago that we recorded it, so yeah. you move on. Yeah. And then uh, I did not see the episode when it aired. Um, I was doing something else, but I just happened to check my Twitter feed at the end of the day. Oh, my God. People <laughs> like... Emo crying emojis all yeah. over the place. And, no, that's impossible. Mr. Sp Master Splinter can't die. And I said, oh, sh oh my God, that's right. This yeah. is the thing that people just freaked out. To me, that shows the depth of commitment that the audience has to these characters. They mm -hmm. really love them. Mm -hmm. And that is a testament to what Ciro has created. Yeah. It's not just a half-hour commercial to sell action figures, man. No. I mean, certainly and Nickelodeon's yes, getting their money back. Absolutely. And those are some great action figures. Absolutely. Let me say that. But, but on top of that, bonus. Utterly a standalone yeah. entertainment piece. Yeah. And, a, and an important entertainment piece. Um, what's, they got the right people to run the show. Yep. I am really impressed with, with what these guys do, have done. Uh, the, the team is so involved. And people like my son, who is probably about your age, Mm-hmm. He was actually working here on uh, Tough Puppy with Butch Hartman, and I sent him a text. I was here working on something else, and I said, hey, man, I think I'm going to be Donatello on the new uh, Turtles. And his response was, wow, that's that's great, Dad. I I have to tell you, you know, it's uh, I, I, I mean, that was such a huge part of my childhood. I'm, yeah. What he was trying to say was, I'll reserve judgment until I, you know, <laughs> I love you, and I know you got to make a living. Man, very nice of him. I think I'm going to like putting some more cracks in this imposter shell. <laughs> and you, Gappy, why do you sound so weird? Me sound weird? Heard yourself lately? Hey, 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 come on, guys. Take it easy. Whoa! You know, you're Raphael, you're Donatello, you're all these different characters. But uh, just for me personally, growing up with Animaniacs and having that style of humor that didn't condescend to me put me on a life path, which is insane. It's crazy. But now I'm here, and well, I'm now it's not too late for you to go get medication, young man. <laughs> Run up the water tower. I got plenty of it. <clears throat> no, oh, listen, my gosh. Yeah. I'm telling you that you, well, you, you've been utterly flattering, but you are absolutely 100% correct. And Mr. Spielberg and Tom Ruger and Gene McCurdy absolutely designed the show for people like you, and it was 100% on purpose. Yeah. The way you interpreted that show exactly what they were going for. You know, when I got hired by Mr. Spielberg on that show, I'd worked with him on other shows, Tiny Toons yep. and uh, 
amazing stories. Yeah. I even looped, uh, I did a bunch of characters on E.T. I mean, I've worked with the guy on other <laughs> sh shows, but yeah, it was a bunch of uh, adults, all of whom were influenced by Warner Brothers yes. and Jay Ward, Bill Scott, and those shows were not made to condescend to the audience either. Yeah. They were written on two different levels, absolutely on purpose, and you totally got it. And so that is the ultimate compliment. So when when I meet people like you or folks who said, wow, I've been on this career path as a result of this work, I was the same way. I was utterly influenced by the work uh, that we mentioned earlier, and it, it influenced me to do the same thing that you did. And I love smart humor. Yeah. And man, I can't even tell you how many. We did 100 Animaniacs, I think, and another 100 Pinky in the Brains. And every script was pretty solid. And yeah. I still remember <laughs> the day that uh, Randy Rogel, who wrote most of the songs that everybody knows on Animaniacs. And, you know, I didn't. I knew Randy. I'd only known him for a few months because we all, the stars all aligned on, uh, we were all working together. Mm -hmm. I'd known Tress for many years before that. So he said, hey, I've got a song for Yakko to do next week. And. Here you go. So I got home and I'm sitting in bed, while kind of watching TV, and I have my headphones on. I'm going. I said, Jesus, this is crazy. My wife said, What are you doing? I said, Check this out: United States, Canada, Mexico, Panama, Haiti, Jamaica, Peru, Republic Dominican, Cuba, Caribbean, Greenland, El Salvador, too. She said, That's that's insane. I said, Yeah. And then so I called Randy. I said, This is really. I mean, this is a brilliant piece. This is going to be a seminal piece of animation here. It turns out it was. Yeah. <laughs> but I said, how did you, what did you do? He goes, oh, well, I was helping my son with with uh, geography. And I thought, hmm, there's a, there's a song here. Yeah. And I, it, it, when somebody, the word genius is bandied about a lot, but that's genius when you're able to extrapolate something that is so unique and interesting mm -hmm. out of what is utterly mundane. That was the first cartoon that came back as a part of Animaniacs. Now, as I was driving home, I got a call in my car from Jean McCurdy, who was mm -hmm. the head of Warner Brothers Animation. She said, Rob Paulson? I said, yes, yes. Hi, Rob, Jean McCurdy. And of course, as an actor, the first thing you think is she's going to fire me. <laughs> Not, couldn't be a nice call. It could be Hi. the, the bar. Yeah. Hi, Rob, you probably should pull over. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're such a decent guy. Yeah. But this just isn't working. Rob Paulson and Gene McCurdy, I just want to tell you, we just got that song back where you sing all the... It is unbelievable. It's <laughs> fantastic. The animation is beautiful. Blah, 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 blah. And it's still to this day. Yeah. When I go do a live appearance, I can sing that song a cappella a thousand times and people, it blows their mind. Has there at any point been any serious talks of yeah we're gonna do an Animaniacs movie we're gonna do a we're gonna do a live action animated hybrid, the characters are gonna be animated the live action action is gonna be live action you're gonna have your auto scratch and sniffs and your CEO plots oh, yeah, and I your love Hello that Nurse guy. oh he's a great guy yeah, yeah he's <laughs> a wonderful person that uh, Doctor Auto Scratch and Sniff was there ever any discussion of like we're gonna do we'll do a movie and we're gonna have you voice Pinky and we're gonna have you voice yeah like anything there ever, certainly any has been discussion I don't know at, at high level at <sighs> what high levels because I don't. As much as I admire and love Mr. Spielberg, I, I don't hang out with him. But I know. I think the reason that it's a, maybe a little bit dicier for that particular property is that it's co-owned between Damblin and and, mm -hmm. um, and Warner Brothers. Makes um, sense. But, hey, stranger things have happened. And I know anecdotally and I got to say probably empirically, if you really want to find a way to do it online, the, the, the fan base for, for Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brain is so deep. Yeah. And so uh, they love those characters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
like I said earlier, it's evidenced by the fact that Randy and I have got this deal with Warner Brothers where we can take the music of Animaniacs around the country. And the first time we got a show together in down in La Mirada, 1,300 seats, and we sold it out three months in advance. And so now they're wow. doing a second show. Uh, we have shows in Arlington, Texas coming up, and Pittsburgh, and Minneapolis, and San Francisco. And it can either be Randy and me at a piano, or it can be Randy, Tress, Jess, Maurice, and me, and an 80-piece orchestra. We've done that, too. And the wow. audience loves it. It's a big screen, and we do the cartoons and talk about how they're made and the stories, and we just interact yeah. with the audience. It's purely joyful. Yeah. But Maurice has a joke. Maurice LaMarche, my friend, my friend the brain, has a joke in which he <laughs> says, yeah, you know what? They're going to make a Pinky and the Brain live movie, and they're going to bring back, uh, they're going to have, uh, because you know Hollywood is, uh, want to cast celebrities in the roles. <laughs> so uh, the brain is going to be Peter Dinklage, <laughs> and Pinky is going to be, uh, who's the British Russell comedian guy with the long hair? Russell Brand. Russell Brand. Right. Russell yeah. Brand. So Russell Brand will be Pinky, and Peter <laughs> Dinklage will be the brain. And then Mo and I will hold hands and jump off a bridge. Um, I love those characters. They're very personal to me. And people ask me, you know, look, God, you know, what would what would you do if they did that and they didn't use you? Well, it'd be heartbreaking. But, you know, I can take a punch. I mean, I, I don't own the characters, man. Sure. I, it's not if that is what they I'm a capitalist. I get how it works. And if they own the project and they say, you know what, it'd be yeah. better to have Peter Dinklage and Russell Brand. I'm not. I, I can't do anything about it. Listen, However, I would hate to be the executive that made that decision. Right. I would hate to be. Yeah. <laughs> However, I do have to say that as objective as I can be, yeah, those characters in particular, at least from my perspective, are so beloved mm -hmm. that as long as Mo and I can do them, it wouldn't make sense for them to do that exactly. because that is what has driven the fan base. People love. There's a whole thing online that are just. Uh, a collection of the responses to are you pondering what I'm pondering? Every one of them. You know, I'm, I think so, Brain, but if they called them sad meals, no one would buy them. You know, if they, but if we had ears, we, if we didn't have ears, we'd look like weasels that were, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I think so, Brain, but um, uh, Burlap chafes me so. Just complete non sequiturs. This is the We got to talk about Carl Weezer for a second. Where did oh, the voice yeah. of Carl Weezer come from? Where did that come from? Well, I kind of stole him from PJ. Because, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, matter of fact, I've had people say, Mr. Paulson, I think PJ sounds like Carl. <laughs> so everybody's a freaking critic, dude. Shut up. Come here. Yeah. No, I, I I remember I loved PJ because yeah. he was a real, you know, bigger than life kind of huge kid and all that. And then uh, that show was over. And um, Steve uh, Oderkirk brought me into audition for Jimmy Neutron the movie. Mm -hmm. and said, we really like, we, we're having trouble with this little guy, Carl Weezer, he's Jim, one of Jimmy's buddies, and he's kind of a nerdy little kid, shy, reticent. So I basically made Carl shorter, although still relatively stout. Husky is what they used to call boys <laughs> like that when I was a youngster. I was husky. And um, so Carl was a husky young lad who had an inhaler. And I just took, I took that same placement of PJ in the back of my throat and just made him a little smaller. But I also wow. chose to give him a lazy L. <laughs> so that every time he pronounces anything with the letter L, like uh, Tom Brokaw would say, Lech Valenza, he had that lazy L. I gave that to Carl, so every time he would say Lama, it was just a little <laughs> affectation. And it made the character more, in a hackneyed actor phrase, organic. <laughs> and even my my whole countenance slows down a whole bunch. I could do it all day long, <laughs> and you would want to shove a gun in your mouth. <laughs> Jimmy Neutron! He's a spy. He's a kid and his hair is really high. He's got a friend named Carl 
who is really cool, and a friend named Shin, who is half back in school. Hey, that only happened twice. That's the genesis of kind of where they came from. But the great wow. thing about having all those characters banging around, and again, that's something I just did for my own enjoyment when I was a kid. You know, I'd steal stuff from Peter Sellers. And yeah. I remember, um, you know, meeting uh, Pat Buttram. I met him years ago at the L.A. studios in Los Angeles on Cahuenga Boulevard <laughs> West. And when I was a kid, I loved Green Acres. And, man, he talked like that in real life. That's how he talked. So wow. I saw him in the waiting room, and I said, I had literally been doing... Um, a second Fox and the Hounds mm -hmm. for Disney, direct-to-video. And I was playing a character of his called Chief, and they, they, uh, he didn't want to do it because he thought he was too old and he didn't feel like doing it. So I, I didn't steal it from him. I just, <laughs> I could do a pretty good... So I saw him sitting in the, uh, in the lobby, and I said, I just wanted to talk to him. I said, Mr. Buttram, it is such a pleasure to meet you. And I said, I have to tell you, sir, I have, I've stolen your voice on more than one occasion. And he said... Well, that's all right, son. I ain't using it much no more. <laughs> but, you know, those those people influence it's such yeah. a crazy voice that you can use. And, and um, do you even... walk around the house and just create new voices and add little because you've I... talked about the customization before you've had, you know, you yeah. just described it between the two characters, PJ and Carl. There's different customizations that you can do to your different mm -hmm. voices to get all these just infinite combinations. Do right. you discover new voices when you're just walking around the house or is I it do. you I, get the material and you go, I think it's this? Well, I do a lot of both. I, I When I see the material of a particular show, I try stuff, uh, but I, I'm always creating things because it's the same, the beginning of our conversation. It's the same excitement and passion I have just because it makes my soul happy. It's fun to do. Yeah, I love coming up with uh, novelty little songs that are... Uh, you know, based on, on popular songs. And I, I did something on Valentine's Day. I had Carl Weezer singing. Uh, I, I put it out on YouTube, Carl Weezer singing. Um, Hello from the other side. I must have called a thousand times to tell you I'm sorry for everything that I do. And people say, well, I'm not a very good singer. Well, neither is he. But <laughs> it, you don't have to be. You can create characters. It's about being fearless and trying stuff. It doesn't hurt. You just yeah. throw it against the wall. But even, you know, when I talk like this, and it sounds a little like a character I did called Boober and Fraggle Rock, but that's the same placement as Dr. Scratch and Sniff. It's, but I, I stole that voice from Peter Sellers, but it's the same. And then if all of a sudden I throw this in there, it's it's a different sound, sort of feller. Um, but or even if I do this kind of hex and there or something crazy, it's still the still the back of my throat. It's four or five different characters that you wow. can do, you know. So it's not like it's a big secret. It really is about playing and being able to leave your grown-up brain outside when you walk in, and the producers, you know, you can't be afraid to be embarrassed because it's it's about it. being just really purely creative. And also, remember, working with those people whom we've spoken about all uh, during our conversation, they're very inspirational. Uh, when Billy West opens his mouth or, or Tress or DiMaggio. It's or, inhuman. And all they do is make me better. The high tide lifts all boats. It, yeah. I'm a much better actor because yeah. I'm, I'm surrounded with uh, my contemporaries. They really make me way better. Tom Kenny, same thing. So smart. Yeah, he's pretty good. That guy's so pretty good. <laughs> fast and just incredibly inspirational. I worked with Mel Blanc a couple of times. He was 85 years old. Wow. So, what was it like working with Mel? Oh, man. It was, I, I, I did exactly what 
is so sweet when people do it now to me. I, I sat next to him, and Gordon Hunt, who just passed away, God bless him, he was the one who really gave me my shot at Hanna-Barbera, and he said, uh, hey, Robbie, uh, Mel Blanc is here today. You want to sit next to him? We were doing a Jetsons thing, and I said, uh, oh, my God, yeah, I totally want to sit next to him. <laughs> so he, I sat down to him, and he was, it's funny, he'd go out in the parking lot and smoke a cigarette and then come in and had oxygen in his nose, you know, just wow. perfect. <laughs> so I said, um, I said, Mr. Blank, what, what a pleasure. Well, thank you, young man. Yeah. It's a pleasure to meet you, too. I said that, you know, because he was on Jack Benny and the radio, and it was Mel Blank. Yeah. And I finally m mustered up the courage to say, I am so sorry to bother you, but would you mind? And before I got it out of my mouth, he just said, mm, what's up, Doc? And it just blew <laughs> my mind. So now I get, I think, the same feeling because yeah. I'll meet these young actors here or at other places or... What are the phrases? What do people ask you? They want to hear, will you say, nerf, or will yeah. you say, uh, I think so, Brian, but if Jimmy Crack's calling and nobody cares, why does he keep doing it? Or, um, <laughs> I think so, Brian, but me and Pippi Longstocking, I mean, what would the children look like? And then... Uh, <laughs> my, I, my favorite one, the one I always go to is, I think so, Brian, but where are we going to find a pair of pants that big at this time of night? Yeah, right. Yeah, where are we going to find a duck in a house at this hour? <laughs> um, I love those non sequiturs. Or people... People still, especially women, love Carl Weezer. Oh, Carl. He's the sweetest. Come so on. So people just say, would you, it's Carl. Hi, yeah, I'm here. Are you married? <laughs> Happily? <laughs> you want to be? Maybe for an hour or so? Yeah, I get a lot of chicks, but unfortunately they're baby chickens, which is pretty <laughs> disturbing. But I get a lot of phone numbers, so there's that. What is it like for you to see the fandom explode online, to see that instant response? What has that been like for you? It is honestly like a drug. I have never, um, I have never been a drug addict. <laughs> Day's not over yet. Um, <laughs> but I can only imagine that, the, you know, let me put it this way. I, I do work with the most gifted actors in the world. They yeah. happen to be my personal friends. And I can guarantee you that none of us, with maybe one or two exceptions, none of us started out a, to be necessarily specific voice actors, right. and B, to to get wealthy being performers. We did it because we couldn't not do it. Yeah. And I would venture to say that's the way most actors, performers are. When you when you get the bug, you get the Jones, whether you realize that chicks dig guys in bands, even if they're <laughs> terrible, or you make somebody laugh and you think, oh, I really like that, that feeling. It does. It becomes a Jones. Yeah. And now, of course, I need to make money because that's how I pay my mortgage, but the passion to do it is still the same. Yeah. The way people respond on social media now so instantly is mind-blowing. And I'm finding that if I take a little time to interact with people on social media, they respond. And 99% of the time, it is, a, it is absolutely the most beautiful, yeah. deeply exciting, oh, my God, you're the voice of my childhood. And I know they say that to Tom and they say that to <laughs> Welker. And, they, and and it's true. We are. In Dallas, uh, during New Year's Eve this year, I was there doing a thing, a big Stan Lee thing. And Maurice and I were there. Maurice LaMarche, Tress McNeil, and Jess Harnell and I were there. And this guy came up, I mean, a like a six-foot-four, tatted-out biker <laughs> dude. Mr. Paulson, man, such a pleasure to meet you, man. It really is. Thanks, pal. That's really cool. Yeah, I, I can't tell you how much I love Pinky in the Brain. And I said, <laughs> really? That's right. I started, and I just started talking like Pinky. The guy burst into tears. It yeah. wasn't this gradual thing. It was a boom, you know? And he, he kept saying, I'm so sorry, man. I, did, I don't know what's wrong. And I said, oh, my God, are you kidding me? That's the ultimate compliment yeah. that, that you 
you are vulnerable enough that just that voice makes you cry. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I have learned how, in, in many ways, the work that we do is important. It's not just about putting braces on my kids' teeth and putting gas in the car. There are people to whom these characters mean a lot. Who knew your childhood was a, was a middle-aged white guy from Detroit? <laughs> you know, it, it, but it is. It's it is mind-blowing. Yeah, and it's as I said earlier, I can't get enough of it. It's fantastic. That's great. At what point did you realize you're one of these people who young people are growing up with, and you're the legendary actor and character and performer to them? that has influenced them in this massive way, that you are now one of those incredibly important influences. And, well, you know, thank you. That's yeah. really, really kind. I, uh, I, I think it, it, there was a certain validation when I, uh, I won an Emmy for Pinky. Yeah. Uh, and it was, a, it, it was definitely one of those moments that you practice when you're a kid and you're standing in front of the mirror and you're holding the hairbrush and stuff <laughs> to thank the Academy of Mr. Spielberg and blah. And it happened. Yeah. It happened at... Uh, uh, Madison Square Garden in 1999, and I was there with uh, the whole Warner Brothers gang, and I was uh, nominated for a a Daytime Emmy with Louis Anderson and Jeff Tambor, myself, Ernest Borgnine, and um, Dennis Franz. Talk about some good company. It was really literally saying, I'm just happy to be in this group. Wow. And they said my name, and I, I went up, and I uh, did my little speech. And I have to say that that, that made me feel like, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm in the mainstream mm-hmm. because I was able to, uh, uh, if nothing else, be considered with all these people. And certainly, look, don't get me wrong. I'm, I don't want to give the Emmy back. It's been great. <laughs> but the truth is, in terms of what I do, the Emmy and four bucks will get you a latte. M- <laughs> my price didn't go up. It's not like winning an Oscar where all of a sudden you go, okay, the next movie you make is going to make, you're going to earn $20 million because now you're an Oscar winner. Sure. Um, if I had won my Emmy for being on, an, you know, Who's Cooking the Soup, the, 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 the next door neighbor on a TV show, mm-hmm. I would have been on all the talk shows as the Emmy winning Rob Paulson. It's <laughs> not the same. This is a celebrity driven culture out here and I utterly get and accept that. Sure. But I always said to myself, I would feel I made it when I had the respect of the people whom I respect. Yeah. And to that extent, that was probably the watershed moment for me because all my friends really rallied behind me and said, wow, one of us, the voice acting community, the sort of faceless people that everybody knows, but they don't know that they know them. You can make the argument that we have a larger audience than any of the movie stars. Yeah. Because every one of the people in the world, pretty much everybody knows Ninja Turtles. Yeah. (laughs) You know? And um, so when I won that, all of my friends, Jim Cummings, Frank, Tress, Kath Susie, they all said, wow, Rob, you know, one of us one of the unsung heroes of show business won an Emmy. And that really made me feel like I was part of the the story. Yeah. But the influx, not influx, the um, the new uh, convention yeah. stuff that's been happening. Yeah. And they're popping up like zits on a 13-year-old everywhere. <laughs> and they are not just 500 nerds. And by the way, that's now a compliment, I understand. You know, yeah. So it's 100,000 nerds. Yeah. And nerds with money. Yeah. And nerds with... <laughs> desire and drive and the kindness to drive across a freaking 
prairie province from Winnipeg to <laughs> Saskatoon and stand in line and buy a $100 ticket to walk in and see the guy who was the voice of their childhood. For people that are interested in maybe becoming an actor mm-hmm. or a voice actor, take improv classes. Yes. Which I love. Oh, how, how important is, was improv to you? Huge. Uh, because improv, as you know, improv teaches you not only to think on your feet, but to be fearless. Yeah. So I just, I love all of those um, things that happen as a result of being available to improv. Yeah. And I, to me, it's been invaluable. And everybody I know, even if they weren't necessarily improv students, they're all very facile and they're utterly unafraid to play. Mm-hmm. When you throw something at them, they don't shut up. They they go with it. And I can't tell you the number of times that something that has been as a result of a, of an improv between a couple of actors in the studio ends up in the show. Ends up in the show. Ends up yeah. characters. Ends up, yeah. yeah. Or ends up enhancing a character and it'll end up giving me more work because they'll say, <laughs> God, that stuff you did, we're going to find a place for that yeah. critter. Yeah. And uh, you're only limited in terms of how good you get by the how much you want to do it. I'm not going to stop getting better until I die. And uh, you're going to be so good when you're 100. Boy, like, and I'm so just Rob as, Paulson. I'm, as I step foot into the grave, I'm going to be just really good. And then it'll be I'm punching my ticket. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for mm. coming in today. And to you and all of the collaborators that you worked with. Thanks for making such great shows. Well, I'll tell you, I uh, I I can only tell you that all the checks cleared. <laughs> so uh, art smart. It's all about the money. No, right. I, I Thank you. That is really I can't think of a better uh, a, a really a nicer compliment coming from a young actor and a person who's clearly on the right path for you to give me that compliment. Uh, and by extension, all the people whom, with whom I've worked <clears throat> is a, a precisely the sort of thing that makes me feel like uh, my, worth, my work was worth something. So thank you very much. I, I am beyond flattered that you would say that. And, I'm close um, to crying, <clears throat> Rob. I've been holding it in this entire well, time. I'm trying. You come over here, my friend, and people will <laughs> you in a very inappropriate way that we can't tell people about. No, yes. Do you? Yes. yes. Oh, good. Yeah. Help me take over the world. We'll start with Burbank. <laughs> well, guys, that was our conversation with Mr. Rob Polson. Huge thanks to Rob for coming in and sharing some of his very valuable time with us and and telling us those awesome stories. Guys, head over to nickanimationpodcast.com for all of our previous episodes and a bunch of cool, awesome, extra behind-the-scenes stuff, including a picture of me with Rob Paulson. Pretty cool. Also, wherever you're getting your podcast from, go ahead and leave us a review if you're so inclined. It really helps us out. That would be cool. Thanks to the awesome crew who puts this podcast together. This podcast is produced by Jonathan Highlander, Dana Vasquez-Eberhard, Kelly Smith, Andrew Hubner. Original music by Useful Creatures. This week's episode edited by Josh Caldwell, Jonathan Highlander. All of the incredible social media for our podcast is made by Narbe Manassians, Sammy Armager, David Watson. And thanks to the man who works at controls and makes me sound better than I have a right to, Manny Grova. Until next time, thanks for listening to the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast and keep watching cartoons. Cartoons.